0: Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. lot going on in the world today, guys.
1: Lots going on, uh, specifically in Trump world uh, and the and the nexus of uh, Trump and his legal right? troubles. Yeah. Um, by the time you hear us, Paul Manafort uh, will have been sentenced in the Eastern District of Virginia right, uh, for his various crimes. <laughs> uh,
2: what else we got? Also, uh... Cohen is suing the Trump Organization for uh, back owed legal fees, which is just... I know. Feels like the encapsulation of a lot yeah. of things. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, friend of the show, Matthew Whitaker. Oh, um, yeah. No longer, no longer a government employee. He has uh, he has left DOJ.
1: Erstwhile yep. patent goon. Erstwhile uh, <laughs> attorney general, in fact. Yeah, the masculine uh, but, toilet. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Wait, oh, oh, that was the... That was what he. Uh, that was like the invention. right? That was one of the inventions. I thought you that were his,
2: that world. World patent marketing uh, was I, was helping. To, yeah, it's good I that thought you that was your that nickname up. for him. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. No, I mean yeah. that would be that would be tough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, As much as it's fun to talk about all of the connections of Trump and and what's going on with various lawsuits, we've got some other things we want to talk about in today's show. Yeah, we're it's gonna, good one. Yeah, we're gonna have RJ vote on the show later, talking about how increasingly, immigrants are being arrested at and around courthouses. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to sort of dive into why that causes some problems and um, where the sort of the battle lines are between the people that think it's a good idea and a bad idea. Good so, talk we'll, about we'll talk that out.
2: Mm-hmm. But first, Alex has what I think is a fairly ridiculous story.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about um, discrimination and um, hurdles that women face in the law. And I'm proud of that work. Uh, you know, that, that, that discrimination takes forms both subtle and unsubtle. This is a story about the latter. <laughs> Quite unsubtle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, piece of news out of California where an appeals panel, uh, appeals court last week, uh, sort of harshly scolded an attorney who referred to an earlier ruling from a female judge as disgraceful and, wait for it,
2: succubistic. Now look. Ooh. We say it a lot. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> but I think if I was, yeah. I probably would know that that was a thing not to say.
1: Yeah. I mean, let me let me tell you about our friend. His name is California attorney Benjamin Pavone. Uh, he wrote himself a bad brief here, gang. Actually, it was bad.
0: <laughs> it does sound bad.
1: Bad notice of appeal, in fact. So he okay. he, uh, he lost a case um, at, a, at a trial court and he appealed to the California state. Appeals court, and this is in his. So it's not even like in some brief where he was all lathered up about whatever. This is like the first, you know, your first impression to the appeals court. Sure. And in the case, he described the prior ruling, again handed down by a female judge, uh, as succubistic, uh, which, if you're not up on that lingo, is uh, referring to a uh,
2: a female demonic presence. Wasn't it? Wasn't the term succubus? Suc- it was succubus is. It, but no, but it was yeah. it was popularized by some show in like the mid two thousands. I learned like about. South Park it, I learned about like, it on South Park. Okay, now I mean
1: it, it predates that. Of course, sure. it's like it's in you know mythical lore or whatever. Sure, but it's a always a female you know demon who has sex with men while they sleep, and you know drains them of their virility
2: and life force. That's what I'm. If, <laughs> I'm uh... if I'm thinking of, it's your honor. It's 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 judge or it's really that succubus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, that's yeah. First, first to mind. Um, and that's not all
1: um, that was like that leapt off the page. But uh, for good measure, uh, he also referred to the, the defendant that he was squaring off uh, against in the case, who was a gay man, as pseudo hermaphroditic. Whoa. Um, he also just threw in uh, again, referring to sort of the judge's legal reasoning as reverse peristalsis. What does that mean? Which is a fancy term for vomiting. Oh, you know, peristalsis is like the, yeah, sure. the muscles of your throat bringing your food down, reversing
2: peristalsis. Um, peristalsis. This Seems lovely. is lovely.
0: This is all so over the top. Yeah.
2: Um, so. This guy's not in the League of Reasonable Bros no, at all. No. Uh, we,
1: should, we, should, we should talk about that yeah, on yeah. a different show. Let's keep going, uh, though. Anyway, um, so this um, did not go well for him uh, in the eyes of the appeals court. Um so he actually um I think I misspoke before he uh he part he had a partial win was actually appealing for attorney's fees so that's what he was uh appe- which is kind I of funny considering about what kind like. of legal work he's doing for these people uh, but anyway uh, he was denied attorney's fees the court um opted not to publish it cuz it just isn't of bearing on precedence or anything like that except they did publish the part where they took him to task For writing this stuff. They seemingly wanted to make an example of him and you can see why. Uh, They wrote, we publish this portion of the opinion to make the point that gender bias by an attorney appearing before us will not be tolerated, period. Um, And then in addition to sort of its sort of baldly offensive and inappropriate stuff, they also get to um, kind of a funnier point here where they say, We cannot understand why plaintiff's counsel thought it was wise, much less persuasive to include to include the words disgraceful, pseudo hermaphroditic misconduct, or reverse peristalsis in the notice of appeal. Which is funny because like yeah, it's it's obviously poor form and rude But, but, but it's like, also
0: not doing yourself any favor. Like, like
1: you think you're gonna win? Right. Uh, anyway, they promptly referred him to the uh, state bar where he will, I would think, face some some disciplinary action. Um What are the takeaways here? Yeah. I couldn't uh you know, we I've I've you know, a little peek behind the curtain. We do a little Google doc, talk about the points we're gonna talk about. I you know, just there's not really a, a clean lesson other than <laughs> don't do this. Definitely maybe maybe just don't. Uh I, yeah. I think we say that a lot about lawyers who mess up, but this is a this is a quite uh, well, I just an, love my fid- an animated My mess favorite
0: up. part of this one is just that the judge um nothing else was published like Precedential yeah, yeah, in any yeah, way, yeah, yeah. except don't do this. That's this yeah. man's
2: this man's legacy. Yeah, is a published Opinion in which he, in which uh, uh, an appeals court urges him not to use the word succubus. Yeah,
1: yep. I mean no. That feels good. No, no word on other sort of mythical figures. I'm sure you'll see some unicorns or some hydra or the what's the <laughs> what's the, do- the Cerebus, the dog. Yeah, those seem to be fair game. All all a matter of context, of course. Uh, but yes, yeah,
2: succubus, uh, steer clear. A place nobody is steering clear of this week, New Orleans. Yeah. Mardi Gras was, uh, we record the show on Thursday. Mardi Gras was on Tuesday. Fat right. Tuesday. Every, big uh, yeah. big week in, in New Orleans. It's good um, stuff. So we're we're bringing you a New Orleans Mardi Gras themed yeah. story about two bars on Bourbon Street that are fighting about, and I, I, I swear this is true, quote, huge ass beers versus quote, giant ass beers. One,
0: of, of course they are.
2: Yep. One of my very favorite things about your beat is that it it,
1: it requires people to speak in very serious tones about inherently f- silly things. Definitely. And this is like a prime example of it. Well, and I
2: also <laughs> love um, I love anytime people use the use like the something ass as oh, like sure. a way to like emphasize as it's, a, a, it's a, yeah as yeah, a modifier. Yeah, 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 yeah that's good. It's, it's just an odd it's an odd way of speaking that I really appreciate. Yes. Um, well,
0: break down with these bars. Or duking it out over?
2: Yeah, so the case was filed last week. Um, it's this company called Nicholas Carno Inc., which must be a man's name. I don't know. I guess. Um, so they run three different bars on Bourbon Street in New Orleans in the French Quarter um, called the Steak Pit, uh, the Cornet, and Prohibition. Oh, I've which, been to Prohibition. If you've ever been, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's <laughs> so they all sell um, to- to-go beers, which it. It, well, I think it's yeah, show so canon like now that thing. I was in New Orleans a couple weeks ago. Th- oh um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We did mention that. Yeah, and, and you made it back,
2: okay? Yeah, that was yeah. your first time in New Orleans. It right? was. What would you think? I, I had a great time. It and was... the, the the better out-
0: question is, what do you remember?
2: Yeah. I broke my phone. Oh, that's um, right. Sure. It was. Uh, it was fun, but. If you've ever been to New Orleans, um, one of the one of the defining characteristics if you're there for for revelry is that you're allowed to take beers out of bars. Yeah. You can walk around and you can walk around the whole French Quarter with with beers. That is as they say how they get you. Right. <laughs> um so <laughs> and and I I had the huge ass beers. You see them everywhere. They're like they're they're one of wow. I mean one of the big things is that like there's all the cups a lot of the cups that they'll give you to go are very like fanciful. You know, there's, those, well, right, it's there's gr- the grenade. It's, it's uh, essentially grenade,
0: branding for all these bars. I exactly. mean, you want the most memorable cup.
1: Exactly. Um, you had a huge-ass beer. I wonder if you can be truly objective in reporting a story like this. But, it's a great point. No, this I I don't the, know. This is the
2: kind of sort of self- scrutinizing journalism <laughs> yeah, it's that true. we have become known for here on the well, you've, podcast. Well, you've, you've disclosed it at least. So, yeah. there you go. Um, so, like I said, the case was filed last week, just days before the big sort of Mardi Gras weekend. Yeah. And, um... They sued this rival company that runs five other bars on on Bourbon Street because they had started selling giant ass beer. So we got huge ass beer in
1: one corner, giant ass beer in another. That corner. does
0: lead to some, some potential consumer confusion. Yeah,
2: it it sure does. So they sued for uh, trademark infringement. Which, huge suit. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a huge suit. Okay, uh, and. They essentially that essentially that means, as Amber alluded to, that they're claiming that that consumers, people walking down bourbon Street are going to confuse this, let's call it a fake ass beer um with their <laughs> with with the huge ass beer, yeah, um so from a trademark perspective, typically something called like, a large something else would not be a particularly strong trademark. Right. It yeah. like describes the product, and that's sort of a, mar- a check Fairly against... generic size term. Yeah, exactly. You it's know? descriptive. It, it's so there that's you go. that's it's not distinctive. It's not a thing that consumers think is like a, a name. They think it's a mm-hmm. thing that's just describing the product for yeah. them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is a little bit different. I mean, I, I already mentioned that I had one and remembered having one. Um, right. And they've been selling it since the 1990s. It's a in the context of Bourbon Street, where you know you see them all over the place, and it's this direct rival right. selling a very similar-sounding name, mm-hmm. um, it's a closer case than maybe it would be in other situations where you were just trying to say that, like, we sell big beers. Yeah. And it's like, where does it end, really? Uh, huge-ass beers giant ass beers well they do also sell they sell other ones and I can't it's I'm blanking on it right now but I believe one of the other ones is big ass beers well yeah and they claim trademark rights to that as well but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that giant ass beers is uh is infringing that one do you see any absolute unit ass beers <laughs> anyway uh, okay so so the weird little wrinkle here is that it, it goes even a step further I feel like we're it's like a Bayou like crime noir oh, story yeah um, uh, so apparently, these two companies know each other, and they like sure. were involved in business. I mean, they're both like proprietors of large numbers right. of bars on Bourbon Street, in it's, close proximity. Yeah, it's uh-huh. not that big of a place. Yeah. Um, so they apparently had some sort of like property deal. It's sort of ambiguous in the lawsuit or vague in the lawsuit, but they're suing each other over that dispute in a different lawsuit in state court. Okay. <laughs> so what this company Carno, that the the, the huge Aspears folks say, is that. <laughs> Is That's that, funny. Is that they filed this lawsuit purely as like gamesmanship as oh. a way to mess with them during during this uh. other dispute. So it's a whole thing This is um, some gamesmanship ass litigation. That I wouldn't they, say they say I wouldn't say it's like cutting edge trademark law, but but given given the uh, the holy party week that we're in right now, I think it was a uh, it was an important story that we tell the tell the people.
0: lots of reasons to go to a courthouse. You could be looking to get wages you say your employer owes you. You could be getting a restraining order against an abusive spouse or even testifying as a witness to a crime. But what if you had to think twice because you might be picked up by immigration agents if you show up? That's the choice immigrants are increasingly facing. And here to talk about it with us is our access to justice reporter, RJ Vote. Welcome back to the show.
3: Hey guys, good to be here.
0: Well, RJ, I always want to talk about immigration issues that are going on, and you wrote a really interesting story about this uptick in courthouse arrests of immigrants. Um, That, I would imagine, is having a chilling effect on what immigrants are doing, kind of like I sort of laid out in the up top there. Um, Tell us about it. What's the lay of the land here?
3: So, in January, the Immigrant Defense Project, which is a group here in New York, they reported that ICE courthouse operations have increased 17% from 2017 to 2018. Mm-hmm. And that's after arrests increased from 11 to 100 and almost 160 the year before during Donald Trump's first in office. Um, a group in Pennsylvania reported that those arrests are also on the rise there. And there's been anecdotes from coast to coast that have actually led dozens of judges to call for ICE to leave courts alone. Now the Obama administration also allowed these kinds of courthouse arrests for certain criminals, but they were happening at a far lower rate than in the Trump administration so far.
0: Yeah, and under Obama it was a lot of like um they were trying to go after targeted people, right?
3: Right. Yeah, the idea was that it was going to be, you know, very specific certain circumstances that would lead somebody to to go into a courthouse.
2: And just to set for the listeners, what you know, what is this that's happening? Someone shows up for a criminal proceeding, someone shows up for, you know, wh- how is this happening? What is what is happening when, when someone is arrested at court?
3: Right. So, I mean, there's there's two main theaters, right, inside the courthouse and outside the courthouses. In some, in some instances, people have actually been arrested inside of the courthouse. Um, but what you're seeing a lot more of is somebody comes outside, there's plain clothed officers, Oftentimes, they have unmarked vans. And I mean, people are reporting kidnappings. They think that people are literally being abducted, and it's actually just a federal enforcement action.
1: And Amber kind of hinted at it when we were, you know, getting you into the segment here. But you talk to people who have been, you know, affected by this and sort of live in fear of stuff like this. What is the sort of, you know, aggregate effect of? deciding to sort of pursue people in and around the courthouse.
3: Right. So what you end up seeing is that even though it might be a small number, I mean, let's say 160 in 2017 across the whole state of New York, you might think, well, that's not so bad. But the effect of that is is intimidation across a, a far larger group of people mm-hmm. who are saying, well, if they got arrested, then I might get arrested and I better not pursue this you know, this abuse allegation that could qualify me for a visa or this divorce proceeding or this child custody dispute, sometimes it's making people afraid to even show up and just be a witness.
2: Right, And you sure. see this stuff that in the context of immigration a lot. The idea you'll see disclaimers when there's public hotlines for um, yeah. all sorts of different things that we're not going to report you because the, the you know, it would it, like you said, it would chill. It would stop people from using a thing that we want people to use, which the courthouse is.
0: Yeah, and this comes up a lot for, you know, there's a big difference of opinion about sanctuary cities, but law enforcement agents often bring up that part of the reason some cities have chosen to do that is that they don't want to chill things like witnesses to crimes coming forward to police, and this seems sort of similar.
3: Right, yeah. So, I mean, ICE's whole reason for doing this, they said it in 2018, is sanctuary cities are making it hard for us to get people at jails. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going the next step down the line and trying to get them at courthouses. And if these sanctuary cities weren't making it so difficult for us, we wouldn't have to be increasing courthouse actions. Let's
0: explain sanctuary cities, just in case somebody has heard that term bounced around, but maybe doesn't know exactly what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, So sanctuary cities mean that what you said, RJ, that that when someone gets arrested on, say, a traffic violation, that they're not going to run you through and give you over to ICE. They're Mm going to deal with the traffic violation and move on. Um, So, this is, like you said, the similar thing here at courts that it can chill people from even just being a witness to a crime. Because if you think you're in a jurisdiction where every time you have an interaction with police that they're going to run you through some system and pass you off to federal immigration authorities, you're going to avoid police at all costs.
3: Right. And now you're seeing immigrants avoiding courthouses at all costs. And I mean, ICE is ICE has a policy online, and they say that absent special circumstances, they're going to target people that are gang members, public safety threats, that, you know, the same kinds of people that were targeted under the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. But what these reports are showing is that more than just that group is being targeted. People's family members are being swept up in the arrests along with them. There's a story of a brother who had just accompanied his brother to court. And when his brother was arrested outside the court, he also was arrested. Um, They're also getting people outside of criminal courts. I I was speaking with an attorney in the Bronx, and she was explaining that because of the way the family court is located close to the criminal court, that ICE agents might say, we're outside of the criminal court, but they're also outside the family court, and getting people going to and from both places. Everyone should read the story. It's on our Access to Justice
1: wire. It's uh, uh, in front of our paywall. But RJ, enlighten us. Um, You talked to a great, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people that are affected by this. What did you learn?
3: Well, I I spoke to this one woman, we'll call her Rosa, uh, and she was in the Bronx, and and she was involved in a case where, where another woman had actually threatened her with car keys, and there were a lot of witnesses who saw the threat take place. And so she was filing for a protection order. And the protection order actually would have made her eligible for a special visa. And this woman who's been an undocumented immigrant in New York City for 19 years mm-hmm. had, had a potential you know, pathway to a legal status. Um, but after she started seeing news reports of, of other people like her being arrested at court, she started growing more and more nervous of going. And she ultimately ended up dropping the case and her only shot at legal status um, because she said she just couldn't sleep at night. she was thinking of yeah. showing up and actually ending up arrested instead of ending up legal.
2: well, and it's 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 so interesting because it's you know, obviously that was a problem for her. but um I think you would I think some law enforcement people like you said earlier would 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 see that that's people not reporting crimes. that's not yeah. people people not using the system the way that they're supposed to for the for the greater good um there's clearly a lot
1: implicated by you know the various You know, parties at play here. There are undocumented immigrants who are scared to, you know, sort of access the justice system. Um, And there's clearly a lot of blowback. What's sort of, what's, you know, how's that been materializing as these reports um, of arrests are on the rise?
3: Right. So, I mean, you've seen public defenders walking out of court in New York, and there's actually been some volunteer court watching programs set up in New Jersey. Um, There was a bill at the federal level from Connecticut Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal. Um, He wanted to make Courthouses, sensitive locations that ICE are supposed to generally avoid. And the judges asked the same thing. These dozens of state and federal judges asked the same thing in their letter in December.
0: Yeah, it sounds like across the board, people that are in the actual judicial branch see it as disruptive and Mm -hmm. problematic.
3: Right. They're concerned that it's going to, as you said, disrupt the justice system because these victims and defendants and uh, witnesses are, are unwilling to come forward. Um, One of the most interesting ideas has come out of California where the Attorney General has issued a policy that requires ICE officers to get a judge's signature mm-hmm. before entering a court. Right now, these agents are allowed to come in with just an administrative warrant, which wouldn't have a judge's yeah. signature. And
2: does that mean they literally like can be in the back of the courtroom when you're up there right. You know, the, and they identify themselves and then they're immediately arrested? I mean, yeah. The, I would talked to one attorney who said she had a client that uh, showed up
3: for a case and there were ICE officials waiting to see if their photo of him matched the person that showed up for this case wow. that was public information. And then they They tracked him outside the courthouse and arrested him there, which that is an interesting distinction. You know, ICE's policy about only arresting criminals technically applies to inside of courthouses. Right. So so when I spoke to an ICE spokesperson, they drew a distinction outside of courthouses are fair game for arresting any undocumented immigrant
2: on an enforcement action. So um, I took you aside here. So what the, you were saying in California? Yeah. Yep. So,
3: so the California requirement—they uh, want judges, judge signatures to be on these warrants—and which
0: would mean they'd have a lot fewer of them, presumably, because they'd have to go to the trouble to. Have a more specific warrant and get the judge to sign off. It's just administratively more yeah. steps there,
3: right? And then, I mean, there's been some former ICE agencies ha- who have called this a total, you know, it's an instance of the state overstepping its bounds. That you know, you can't ha- you can have state courts requiring federal agents to get permission to do a federal action. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- there is some challenge to that California policy, but uh, other attorneys I spoke to from around the country touted the California policy as maybe a, a good step to increasing access to justice for this group
2: well we're just about out of time but that it's it's a really interesting story everyone should go check it out uh it's you know i this immigration in the last two years has become such a bigger issue and it's sort of you know you hear about it and it's in headlines but you know if you're not following it closely you don't realize sort of the downstream effects and, and things like this
0: yeah thanks for bringing it to us rj
2: yeah thank you so much for having me on the show guys
0: For our offbeat this week, I have one that is so right in the wheelhouse of the Pro Stay Podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's very well documented that we all love the movie My Cousin Vinny.
1: Oh, yeah. The goat. The, the goat legal movie, in Absolutely. my opinion. Absolutely.
0: Uh, we're not the only ones who think that. And it has come up in the D.C. Circuit this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was a ruling this week that Merrick Garland actually wrote.
1: Never heard of him. <laughs> Interesting cat. He
0: talks about how a My Cousin Vinny type cross-examination about a nursing facility supervisor who said she saw a bunch of workers asleep and they got fired. Um, This cross-examination torpedoed what she said, much like what happened in the movie, and it was a turning point in this big case about whether or not um, the firings were because of un- a union election that was coming up.
1: Now, did it involve the testimony, the expert testimony of a sassy Italian woman who, with an encyclopedic knowledge of cars?
0: It can't have everything Okay. Right. Did it involve
1: right. grits? Okay, let's just get through. <laughs> okay, let's get <laughs> to what we're talking but about. I like that you guys did it involve are... the dad from the Munsters serving as the judge?
0: <laughs> I like that you guys know exactly which scene we're at and, and what Joey we're talking Calo. about. Joey <laughs> Callow. All right. So here's what actually happened. Uh, this three-judge panel at the D.C. Circuit upheld the National Labor Relations Board's decision that this healthcare center violated federal labor law by firing workers days before a union election. Mm-hmm. The key witness here was a woman who said she saw four graveyard shift workers sleeping for between 15 and 20 minutes, and they were only allowed to take 10-minute breaks. They okay. could fall asleep in their 10-minute break, but you couldn't, you know, be asleep for big chunks of your shift. Mm-hmm. So. She said that at least fifteen or twenty minutes had passed from the first time she saw somebody asleep at their their post or whatever um, to the second time she made some rounds and came back around, and she took a picture on that second go round at four twenty one in the morning. Okay, I'm giving you a specific time because this is important. No, I know it matters. Hand
2: down the facts,
0: Um, much
1: like the cooking of a grit,
0: (laughs) much like that. So they literally constructed this timeline. Um, back from her four twenty one. Mm-hmm. So she said that the first time she looked at the clock that evening was on her way to work. She was in her car a few blocks away. It was three fifty in the morning. Okay. Yep. Then she said it was about four in the morning when she saw the workers asleep for the first time. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with ten minutes, maybe if you stretch it, maybe fifteen minutes is right. all you've got there before you don't have the math to make them oversleeping. Right. Um, and the timeline just didn't work out. And this is the same sort of on-the-ground work that an attorney has to do that was so crucial in that my cousin's. Without video a scene. doubt, yeah. Um, and here's why they showed that it didn't work out. Um, there was a whole laundry list of stuff she was supposedly did between three fifty and about four in the morning. Uh huh. Driving the rest of the way, parking, walking to our office to check email, inspecting a refrigerator in the facility's kitchen area, a trip to the bathroom, reading through derogatory scribblings that had been made on anti-union flyers, and peeking into a few patients' rooms. 10 yeah. minutes, all of that. Yeah. I, I, I almost couldn't read that in I 10 minutes. I would argue
2: that's a that's a magic employee. Uh, that's you know, <laughs> She's
0: very productive. Very
2: fast, yeah. She's a fast uh,
1: nursing home facility supervisor, I Definitely.
0: guess. Definitely. Yeah, so it was so on the nose with the way things were pointed out in My Cousin Vinny that Merrick Garland literally name-checked the movie, wrote out, in the opinion, a whole bunch of that scene, the famous how fast can Grits cook scene. Yeah,
1: I mean, if 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 no if no one recalls, first of all, listen to our Oscar show from a little over a year ago. We go sure. pretty deep on it, but yeah, there's a cross examination of a witness to a murder, and he sees the suspects go into the sack of suds, which is like a little like you know corner store, and he basically says that they were in there for five minutes after they shot the guy, and the reason he knows that is because he they went in and when he started making breakfast and uh, he was ready to eat by the time they went out, he said that was about five minutes. Joe Pesci, of course, points out that it takes about twenty minutes to cook grits. He sort of like backtracks his whole story right on the witness stand.
2: Um, a, an attorney from Brooklyn knowing all about grits, it was it was a it was a real a real coup for him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also want to point out that this story was ably laid out in the in Law through Sixty by Vin Gareri, who our is own, our own Vinny from Brooklyn. Our like, own
1: diminutive Brooklynite, my yeah. colleague Vinny.
0: <laughs> it's just so full circle. But Very and I good. wanna I wanna leave us with um, a quote from the opinion that Garland wrote. He said, In 1992, Vincent Gambini taught a master class in cross-examination. Trial counsel for the National Labor Relations Board and the National Union of Healthcare Workers apparently paid attention.
1: (laughs) People hold this in very high regard. I did a little, like, I just searched on our site, which is by no means exhaustive to see how many times, like, my cousin Vinny just came up in our writing. It pops up here and there, but where it comes up a lot is when we, like, have done those, like, profiles of certain attorneys and like it comes up it was, it was like 10 or 15 times where people cited it as like reasons they got into the law it's this and Things to kill like a mockingbird that. always well, the, you can, you, that's the two you can keep atticus finch i will take vincent Laguardia gambini <laughs> seven days out of the week
0: i think that's a great choice yeah. and i think we've had a great show today thanks yeah. to bill
2: i will see you again next week guys and alex thanks
0: we also like to thank our producers kelly Marcano and Stephen trader our guest this week rj vote and our contributing reporters mike lasusa and vingerary Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about or any of the times we've cited My Cousin Vinny, check out our website. It's law360.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to our show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Please leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Thanks and see you again next week.